you know, when, when we think about the kind of the, the seminal early environmental disasters that kind of shaped North America, you know, we think about the deforestation of New England and, you know, the, the busting of the Midwestern Prairie that led to the Dust Bowl and, you know, gold mining the Sierra Nevadas and, you know, cattle grazing all over the, the American West. But we don't, we don't think about the fur trade, about trapping as, as one of these real catastrophes that just shaped everything about what the continent looks like. But there's no, there's no question that it did. You are listening to the Dude Nature Podcast. What's up, everyone? This is my interview with author Ben Goldfarb about his book, Eager, The Secret Life of Beavers and Why They Matter. This book taught me a lot about how important beavers are to the ecosystem. They're basically like the construction workers that make a very wet, a very messy looking ecosystem, but one which is amazing for wildlife, plants, water retention, and as it turns out, it's really good for us too. So the problem is that, of course, we humans like to keep our streams and our nature really orderly. And unfortunately, when you put beavers in a stream, although it's good for everyone, including humans, it's definitely not orderly. So this comes into conflict with a lot of land management. But possibly the beaver is our savior for a cheap and relentless workforce that can fix a lot of our environmental and land management issues and turn the country back to what it originally looked like before the fur trapping happened and beavers were basically almost all eradicated. um, During the book, I learned a ton about beavers of course, but interestingly, there's a lot of stuff in here about land management in general and how some of our land land management policies are outdated backwards and somehow regulatory agencies still push these policies and won't change. So that was really interesting to hear about. Also, Ben is, he's a really great writer. So it's packed with a ton of research and a ton of examples, but it's actually very easy to read, which is awesome. One last thing, if you like the interview or the pod, Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or follow us on Instagram at dude underscore nature. And without further ado, here's my interview with Ben. A couple of things that like that I really learned from your from your book, just from a layman that really didn't know anything about beavers, is number one, like how much they change the landscape. Like there is they're essentially like how humans change the landscape. They're like, and you say this in your book, they're like the humans of the natural world, how they just completely remodel everything which is crazy. So can you like talk about what America might have looked like before all the beaver killings and like when beavers were just everywhere? Yeah, it's a great place to start. And I think that, you know, it's, it's funny because the, the first thing that everybody learns about beavers is that beavers build dams, right? They build these dams, they create these ponds and wetlands, you know, the, and the idea being that, you know, because they're this, this aquatic animal that's very, you know, fat and slow and clumsy on land, and they want to they build this pond to basically increase the extent of their own shelter so they don't get eaten by a, you know, a wolf or a cougar or something. So, you know, everybody knows that beavers, that beavers do this, but I, I think that most people don't think about how important and significant and like dramatic a function that is, you know, building those dams, creating these ponds and wetlands. So, you know, historically before European arrival, there were as many as 400 million beavers in in North America, you know, which would have created hundreds of millions of beaver ponds and wetlands. And I mean, you know, I, I think I calculated in the book that the amount of total land that would have been underwater thanks to beavers would be the size of Arizona and Nevada combined. So just unbelievable amounts of 
of water impoundment. So there's no question that this was just a much, you know, greener, bluer, wetter, lusher continent, thanks to beavers. You know, you read explorers and trappers journals and they describe crossing the state of Indiana and not finding a, a dry place to camp for a hundred miles because beavers had so thoroughly impounded the entire Midwest. It's just, I think it's just hard to wrap our heads around how dramatically different this continent looked like with its several hundred million beavers on it. That's what was um, was really amazing to me and something that I don't feel like people really know is just how taking out the beavers has caused such a drastic change in the environment. Like it's it's really it's really wild like the create like what they what they do to an environment they completely remold it. Yeah, totally. And that's you know and that's one of the points that I try to make in the book, right, is that you know when we think about the kind of the the seminal early environmental disasters that kind of shaped North America. You know, we think about the deforestation of New England and, you know, the, the busting of the Midwestern Prairie that led to the Dust Bowl and, you know, gold mining the Sierra Nevadas and, you know, cattle grazing all over the, the American West. But we don't, we don't think about the fur trade, about trapping as, as one of these real catastrophes that just shaped everything about what the continent looks like. But there's no, there's no question that it did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I like that. It's like by taking the beaver out, we radically like changed the landscape radically, and now it's like, and you have some really great examples in the book of, a, like different creeks that they put the beavers back into. I'm I'm thinking about like Susie Creek in Nevada. You bring that up, and right. then and then Bridge Creek. Um, right. So, what was the biggest example you saw of a creek that was struggling, and then they like re put beavers back into the creek that were there naturally, and that kind of came back. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned Suzy Creek in, in Nevada. I mean, that that and, and Maggie Creek is the other the other sort of stream in that watershed. Uh, I think those are really good examples. You know, in, in those in those cases, I mean, those are those are places where you know there had been some historic beaver trapping, and there'd also been a lot of cattle grazing, right? So if, you know, so if you get a bunch of cows just you know hanging out along the stream, what do they do? They eat all they eat all the plants. You know, there's 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 no plants you know holding those stream banks in place, so you get really dramatic erosion, and you get this kind of like lifeless degraded channel that has no vegetation whatsoever. Um, so that's what happened in, in that case. And, uh, you know, after about a hundred years of that or so, or close to hundred years, you know, what the, the ranchers there and the, the kind of the government, the land manager, the Bureau of Land Management did is they, you know, they kind of put in some pretty common sense grazing management prescriptions. So just, well, you know, just don't let the cows hang out at the, at, in the stream bottom all year, you know, drinking and shitting and eating everything. Um, and, you know, and, and when they did that, they weren't thinking about beavers necessarily. They, they were just thinking about, you know, making the, improving the stream's health. But the beavers, you know, beavers have this kind of magical way of finding the good habitat. You know, as, as soon as the conditions are right for them, they just kind of make their way back in there. Um, and that was what happened. So the beavers, the beavers showed up, you know, they built their dams, they, and they just transformed this, you know, like, I mean, when you look at early pictures of this place, it, you know, it looks like it looks like Mars or something. It's like just totally, you know, red and brown and barren. Right. You know, after and after 20 years of beaver recovery, you know, it's just the most lush, beautiful wetland complex you've ever seen, you know, and there are more fish and birds and and uh, and everything. And what's cool about that, that case, too, I think, is that, you know, in a lot of places, people are hostile to beavers, right? You know, beavers are you know, beavers, they, they flood your fields and they, you know, cut down your, your fruit trees and, you know, and they clog up road culverts and they do all this, all this annoying stuff. But, you know, in, in Nevada, in, in this little, you know, pocket of Northeast Nevada, now there are all of these ranchers who love beavers because, you know, they, 
I mean, the beavers created watering holes for their cattle. They irrigated the entire landscape for them, right? So they dramatically, you know, improved the the, the kind of the quality and quantity of the vegetation because they're just, you know, spreading water out all, all over the place. So, you know, that's just a cool example of, of a place where, you know, humans and beavers are kind of working working together in a, you know, a, an agricultural setting. Um, pretty cool. I feel like that was really interesting too through your book is like it's a window into land management. Which is like, I, I didn't know anything about it, but you, you kind of dive into this world of like state department and then people that are just trying to get the beavers back and then ranchers and farmers. And it's this really complex issue because when we think about a stream, like when I think about a stream, I think about the straight stream and that's incorrect. Actually, that's not really naturally how a stream works and it's not the best for wildlife. And so with that, like with that contention, can you talk about like, ranchers and farmers and like why initially they just like hate beavers for generations basically yeah you know i think i mean so first on a very practical level um you know i, I think i mean what i mean agriculture is really about moving water around right especially the american west you know very dry place um you know so there's there's all kinds of sort of irrigation infrastructure you know all of this it's these vast networks of ditches that are you know moving water across the landscape and you know and those those ditches are are really nice places for a beaver to build a dam um so you know so beavers tend to, to you know dam and irrigation ditches and uh you know they get they get shot for that um so that's you know so on a practical level you know it's, it's really it's it's that it's that sort of you know that irrigation ditch issue um but you know i think at a more philosophical level um you know i mean, I mean we as humans you know we we crave control right we you know we love to just you know, arrange our surroundings, you know, we build all of these kind of like linear straight features, you know, roads and rail lines and, you know, and power lines and irrigation ditches, you know, it's, we, we, we're sort of like these fanatical micromanagers of nature. Uh, and beavers are the exact opposite of that, right? Beavers create, you know, what looks to us like chaos, you know, they spread water out all over the place. Uh, you know, there are all of these like dead and dying and half filled trees everywhere you know they're the streams you know you take, they take these nice straight you know single thread tree streams and make them these you know complex multi-channeled braided systems doing you know there's kind of a philosophical difference between us and beavers as well yeah absolutely so how how do you go about because there's really interesting examples in the book where like the biggest problem is that it's basically it's a short term versus long term so short term, you can bring a backhoe in and make the, the stream perfectly straight. But in the long term, that's going to really affect the water table. It's going to affect a lot of different things that are going to natively affect the ranchers and the farmers. So it was really interesting to hear like how you basically can pitch it as a long term solution for them. But like in, in your mind, like what was the best solution that you can help the help the beavers return, but also help the ranchers and farmers to make a yeah, profit? Yeah, that's, a, that's a, a really a really good question. I mean, I think that you know, I think that one of the one of the really important things is just um, you know making sure that the right spokesmen are talking about this issue, right? I mean, so you know, there there are there are a handful of, of really great ranchers, especially who have who have worked with beavers and, and experienced their benefits um, and have become really, really passionate advocates for this issue. So like, so one of the guys who I talked to in this book, in this book is um, a guy named Jay Wild. He lives in, in Southern Idaho and uh, you know, and he, he's kind of just a very, very interesting guy. I mean, he, you know, he grew up on, he grew up on this, this, this ranch and uh, you know, and he remembered as a kid, you know, the, the stream that went to the, their homestead, 
used to run all year round. It used to be this perennial stream. Um, but at some point, you know, in the 20th century, it had just stopped doing that. And it, you know, it was going dry in the, in the summer and, you know, and Jay didn't really know why that was, but he started thinking and he realized that, oh yeah, there, you know, there were no, there were no longer beavers in the stream. So he actually reintroduced beavers um, over the course of, you know, several years to his, his property. And now he's got something like a, like 120 dams on his stream or something, something crazy like that and has restored the, the perennial flow of this, of this stream, which is just so cool. So he's become this really passionate, uh, powerful guy who, you know, talks to, he goes on webinars and, you know, and speaks to the media and does all this stuff. And, you know, and, and he's just a much, you know, his story is just so compelling. And of course, because he's this, you know, this old school rancher with like a, you know, uh, a, a tin of dip in his pocket, you know, he's just a, just a, the perfect guy to be talking about this issue. Um, so he, he's a much more effective advocate than I am for sure. Yeah, no, it's, and it's crazy. In your last chapter, you bring up, I think you really sum it up nice in the last chapter when you bring up Walmart and like, and how the stream by Walmart, they're trying to like, to, to fix it. I actually worked on Walmart, the drainage of Walmart parking oh, really? lots, right? No <laughs> right way. out of college. So that was really That's funny cool. to hear. And yeah, so we worked on their, on their drainage. And one of the things with their drainage was that they were just an evergreen client because they could never fix it. So we'd fix the drainage it'd break. We'd fix the drainage to break. But like as the consulting firm, it was great for the firm. Right. So you never really wanted to fix the thing long-term. So it's like when they're thinking it's, they think that short-term solution, but it's like that thing is just going to, basically the way we've been doing land management, what I learned from the book is it just doesn't work. It's, it's not working. We kind of need, we need to look outside the box to find other solutions and the beaver for sure yeah you know and that walmart you're talking about is that's that's a great example that's a, that's a walmart in uh, in in logan utah and uh, you know there they just next to the next to the parking lot they've got this little sort of pocket wetland that that happens to have beavers in it and uh you know, I mean, everybody wanted those wanted to see those beavers killed, of course. Um, but you know, the kind of the, the local, I mean, the you know, the Walmart managers and you know, the city of Logan and uh, you know, some some kind of some key scientists at Utah State University basically worked together to create this this management plan um, where they you know they put in one of these flow devices, you know, kind of this pipe and fence system that basically regulates flooding so that the you know so that the so that the wetland can't overspill its banks and flood the parking lot right um so you know by working together i mean they yeah they, they managed to get this you know kind of very common sense um plan in place that allowed beavers to stay in this very urban area right i think that's a really important thing about beavers too is that you know like they're they're not an animal i mean there are you know there are more beavers in the city of seattle than there are in yellowstone national park you know they're 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 they're, they're this potentially very urban animal they do well around people as long as we can learn to live with them and and tolerate them so you know by doing a pretty a handful of, of really basic common sense things um you know we really can have beavers and all of the, the great benefits they bring us in our you know most urban spaces which i think is incredible yeah, absolutely. And then one interesting thing too was that you talk about the the differences almost between how Washington has started to embrace. They've started to embrace different like policies with beaver, knowing that they're good for the future land management. They're really helping these streams of wildlife right. return. But then with California, it seems like it's been the opposite. It has just been a roadblock to to progress. Um, why do you think there has is there such a division? in states between that kind of adoption? Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a good question. Um, you know, I think, I think that in California, you know, the, the case is really, it's, it's really this 
historical misunderstanding where beavers were considered a, a non-native species in California for a long time. And the, the reason briefly for that is that, you know, California, unlike, you know, most other states had you know, basically had two fur trades, right? It had the overland fur trade. So, you know, guys like, you know, Kit Carson and, and uh, you know, and, and Jedediah Smith, you know, all those old school mountain men um, that you would see in the Revenant, you know, those guys are moving across the continent. But at the same time, you know, you've also got a maritime fur trade. So you've got, you know, you've got the, the Russians, the Spanish, the British, um, all, you know, trading uh, and trapping sea otter and beaver pelts along the, the coast of California too. So by the time, by the time those overland fur, you know, fur trappers reach California, that maritime fur trade has really taken all of the, the, the beavers out of the state already. So, you know, the, the, the overland trappers show up and say, oh, you know, there are no, there are no beavers here. They must never have been here. And, you know, and that somehow, and that somehow became official policy essentially that, oh yeah, there were, there were just never beavers in this, in the state of California, which makes no sense, right? I mean, here's an animal that, you know, we see from like the deserts of Northern Mexico to the Canadian tundra line. There's no reason they wouldn't be in California, but that just became kind of the mindset. And so they were treated, you know, like an, like an invasive species there essentially for a very long time. And, you know, now that's been thoroughly disproven, right? Now there's, you know, there's lots of evidence showing that beavers actually were in California all along as, you know, as, a, as they logically would be. Um, but I think that that legacy of considering them non-native um, still casts a, a really long shadow. 100%. And that was super interesting too, as how, you talk about, I think you, you, it's called shifting right, baselines, right. I believe, where it's like our environment's already been changed. And so we think that the baseline is this changed environment. And then when we look at it through that lens, we start to label things invasive species like the beaver that are completely natural. But it takes us, I think it was like, like almost like 70 years to then realize the mistake. But even when the mistake has been realized, it's still so deep seated in California. This is really in California that beavers aren't native is so deep seated that it's been very hard to like, to change it, to change it back to like, these are native species that can really help the streams. And that was crazy how a misdiagnosis can just run. Totally, rampant. Yeah. You know, and I think that, I mean, California is the perfect emblem of that, but that, but that's happening at a different scale all over the, all over the world in some, in some respects, or all, you know, all over North America and Europe where beavers historically were native to, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, the reason that we, you know, I mean, I mean, for me, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fly fisherman, right? So I love, you know, so I love, I love fishing in these, you know, like these straight, thin, you know, cobble bottomed, kind of like the classic stream you would see in, in, you know, in, in like Field and Stream magazine or an Orvis catalog or something. Um, but you know, that's that's not what this, you know, that's not what most streams historically looked like in North America, right? They, you know, they they were these kind of like sprawling, marshy complexes created by beavers, you know, and that's, and I think that we've you know, internalized in some respects, a kind of a, a fundamentally inaccurate model of, of a stream as normal because, because of that shifting baseline syndrome, you know, because, you know, the trappers showed up, they wiped out all the beavers, you know, a few decades later, um, you know, the farmers and, and colon, colonists came along and settled those areas um, and, you know, and basically said, oh yeah, you know, like this is what the streams always look like. But, you know, we, we inherited this very degraded landscape because we lost beavers. And, you know, I think that bringing back this animal is going to require us to kind of reconfigure our historical imaginations uh, in a lot of respects. Yeah, 100%. Um, be beavers and salmon, that was crazy too how, because that's, that is like talking about misconceptions. There has been a misconception that 
beavers actually stop salmon. They hurt they hurt salmon, which is vital to Pacific Northwest, Alaska, you know, many, many, many places. So it was really interesting to hear, like, actually how be- when beavers come into a stream, because when you think about it, you're like, oh, beavers come into a stream, they dam it up, the salmon can't get anywhere, right. it doesn't make any sense. But really, like, what happens is that it's actually a wetland effect. These fish are able to get not only get through the dam, they can also jump over the dam. It doesn't really stop them. It helps them breed. Um, can you, like, talk about that kind of battle between people that that battle between basically not believing that and believing that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's a, that's a really interesting uh, dynamic for sure. I mean, you know, you, you, in the Northwest, you know, we talk all the time about needing, needing to get dams out of streams, right? Not, not build, not build more dams. Um, But of course, as you, as you say, you know, human dams and beaver dams are are nothing alike. And, you know, and beavers have, or fish rather have all kinds of ways of getting over and around and through dams. And, you know, there's a a, a huge amount of research, you know, basically showing that beaver dams are not an obstacle to to migrating salmon. Um, And in fact, you know, as you say, they're, they're really, you know, there's a, a great connection there, right? I mean, there's a wonderful kind of deep, evolutionary connection. If you're, you know, if you're a baby salmon, you know, the, the length of your pinky or something, you know, you don't want to live in the main stem fast river. You're just going to get blown downstream. You know, what you want is some kind of pool or side channel or backwater or eddy, some kind of, you know, slow water refuge where you can just take it easy, uh, you know, conserve your energy, grow a little bit, hang, you know, get cover from, from, you know, kingfishers and great blue herons. Um, and, you know, of course, beavers create those, those kinds of, of kind of salmon refuges. So there's just, you know, again, a huge amount of literature, scientific literature now showing that, you know, that beavers are, are really good for fish. And earlier, you know, you mentioned Washington as being one of the kind of the good progressive beaver states. And that's mostly because, you know, because salmon are such a big deal here. Uh, I, you know, I, I live in Eastern Washington. And, um, you know, and, and there's just, I mean, there's just so much money allocated for salmon restoration and increasingly, you know, some of that funding is going towards bringing back beavers. But, you know, as you, as you say there, you know, there is still this, um, you know, kind of this mindset uh, that, you know, that beavers and fish must, must be sort of mutually exclusive. You know, it's funny, one of the places where beavers have been reintroduced is in, is in Scotland, um, you know, which historically had, had Eurasian beavers. And just, you know, just a couple of days ago, I saw this, you know, this, this headline, um, you know, about how, you know, beavers are going to ruin the, the fishing in Scotland. And it's just like, that couldn't, I mean, that just couldn't be more wrong. Um, you know, we, 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 there's just so much evidence now showing that beavers enhance fish production. Um, and, but that, you know, that, that sort of negative perception among anglers um, still unfortunately persists. 100%. And that seems to be a, a big theme of the book is that we're just, just misreading basically this, this non-scientific diagnosis of this problem and we're misreading it and then we make it, we make it worse and then it gets harder and harder to change. Um, those are, those are some of the, my favorite parts of the book, to be honest, because it was just so interesting to learn about. It was so interesting to learn about land management from someone <laughs> like me. I've, I've never, I've never heard about it. You know, it was, it yeah. was crazy. Um, for, for like the rate of adoption and the rate of change now, do you do you have positive hopes for it? Do you feel like it's grinding to a halt? Do you like how do you feel it's changing for people to adopt that they are native species that really do help the ecosystem and can help humans? Yeah, I think I think that that you know pretty much all of the signs are going in the right direction. I think I I, I, mean, I actually feel like beavers are are you know one of the truly positive, hopeful, progressive environmental stories happening in the in the country right now. Um, you know, I mean, certainly there are still pockets of resistance. I mean, obviously, you know, tens of thousands of beavers get get killed every year. Um, but you know, at the same time, at the same time, 
you know, there is this, um, yeah, I mean, there, there are all kinds of new groups getting involved. I mean, every, every single week, practically, I hear about, you know, a new um, nonprofit or a state agency or, you know, a, a native tribe um, who has, you know, who's creating a beaver program uh, and is starting to reintroduce beavers to places, where, you know, where they used to live or, you know, is, is, is using flow devices and other coexistence techniques to, to kind of live alongside beavers. Um, so, yeah, there, you know, there, there, will, there will always be pockets of, of beaver haters for sure. Um, but, you know, I think that this is this is one of those uh, one of those issues that's that's truly going in the right direction. I, I feel really good about it. You know, and a big part of that is climate change, right? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, beavers are kind of this fantastic climate adaptation technique in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we know we know that out here in the American West, you know, the, the land's getting more flammable, and there's more and more wildfires every year. And there's just this this wonderful growing body of research showing that, you know, beavers create really good uh, fire breaks and fire defenses. You know, I mean, of course, water doesn't burn. So any any animal that kind of spreads water out in the landscape is helping improve our, our resilience uh, against fire. So there's just, you know, the, the research is, is getting stronger and stronger. The kind of the social adoption of beavers is getting stronger and stronger. And I think that uh, all, all signs are going in the right, the right way on this one. Yeah, it's it's like this huge workforce of free labor, basically, that if, if used correctly, we can put out there and they can make the land, make the ecosystem totally, better. Yeah. It's 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 really cool how they could be a, a solution for sure. And you had that one story about a, a tribe. I think it was in Washington, but they got at, they some they he got control of, of the watershed of their area. And then they reintroduced beavers to their watershed. And like how it really helped their watershed versus like nearby watersheds. That was really interesting too. How like the uh, like a, a native tribe is like using a natural technique to make the land back. That was pretty totally, crazy. Yeah, you know, and, I mean, that, and that's the that's the Tulalip tribe out in, in western Washington, just north of Seattle. But you know, but now the Blackfeet uh, in Montana have a beaver program. Uh, you know, the Cowlitz uh, tribe also also in Washington has a beaver program. There's some you know, there's some beavers getting involved. Or some some tribes rather getting involved in beaver restoration in, in California. Um, so you know, the, yeah. So this this kind of this this tribal piece is getting stronger and stronger, and that's and that's really exciting too because you know they've. I mean, as you say, they've got a lot of land management authority that was you know that was that was granted to them by the the treaties they signed in the 19th century uh, with the with the with the government. You know, that basically gave them the right to you know hunt and fish on all of their kind of usual and accustomed uh, areas. And you know, and, and they've they've really smartly leveraged those those treaty rights um, into into you know bringing back beavers. And of course, you know, here in in the Northwest, you know, tribes are so deeply connected. <coughs> excuse me, to to salmon. Um, and you know, of course, again, beavers create this great salmon habitat. So you know, so that there's this wonderful you know tribes using beavers as a salmon restoration tool. That's a, a really exciting development in the, in the beaver world. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, when when writing the book, what was the what was your favorite part about writing? One one cool thing is like you and you. I think you do a good job in this. Is like you meet all these different characters. So you meet environmentalists, you meet uh, beaver believers, you meet ranchers, land managers. A very wide scope of people that like and also hate the beaver. Right. You know, it kind of right. goes everywhere. So, what was your uh, what was the what was your favorite part about writing it? Like, what did you enjoy the most? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I, th I think it, I think it is, I, you know, it's, it's what you said. It's the, it's the, the people who I, I met along the way, you know, it's, I mean, one of the cool things about, 
or one of the frustrating things about being being a writer sometimes is that it's you know it can, it can be kind of a solitary life, right? I mean, I, I work from home. I'm by myself. Um, you know, and I'm not I'm not uh, an employee of any publication, so I'm. I'm you know, I'm not exactly part of a, much of a community, um, but there's this, but there is this wonderful beaver community that exists, and that I've been really fortunate to become to become a part of. So, you know, meet, meeting all those folks was so cool. I mean, I think that's you know one of the great things about about beavers is that they just have this way of, you know, roping people in. Um, you know, and, and that a lot of the a lot of the the most important people in the beaver world, you know, they're not trained biologists. They're you know they're they're former realtors and and uh, you know physicians assistants and hairdressers and you know and child psychologists. Um, but they just they just kind of fell in love with this animal um, and you know and, and became really uh, you know passionate, powerful experts. Um, on, on, on the, the beaver subject. So, you know, I just think that, yeah, that meeting some of the, some of the kind of the fascinating people who, you know, come together around beavers was really cool. And, you know, I think that that's, I think that's kind of a unique thing. I mean, of course there are, you know, there are some animals like, like wolves, for example, that, you know, that, that uh, attract people, um, you know, all over, all over the country for their, their conservation. But, you know, I, I think that, yeah, that most, you know, most species don't have this big group of advocates um, you know, supporting their their restoration, and, and beavers are really fortunate that they that they do. Uh, and I think that you know that meeting those folks and becoming part of that beaver community, that you know that beaver family in some ways, uh, has been one of the yeah. most rewarding things for me. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I got three last questions for you. Um, book recommendation, favorite book, can be fiction, nonfiction, anything. Wow, uh, that's that's a that's a that's a big one, man. Um, you know, I, th I mean, I think that I think that that one really cool guy to have on your on your podcast um, would be would be Dan Flores, who wrote Coyote America. Um, I saw that. Yeah, I really yeah, wanted to read yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. I mean, I, you know, I love I love coyotes. They're just amazing, amazing animals. They're so uh, you know cunning and and smart and adaptable and tough. And uh, and and Dan's book Coyote America is just a, a great a great uh, homage to this this really you know like beavers, kind of a, a persecuted, misunderstood species. So definitely talk, I think you should talk to Dan and all you listeners should check out, check out Coyote America. Hell yeah, man. That sounds cool. Um, spirit animal. Um, that's a, that's a, that's <laughs> a tough one. I mean, you know, I, I, it's, you know, beavers are the, are the easy answer, but you know, but that's but the I easy feel, answer. I, mean, I feel like I, I got into beavers, um, you know, primarily as, or at least originally as a, as a, as an angler, you know, as a fisherman, as a guy who, you know, just loves, loves hanging out in and around, in and around water, uh, catching, catching trout. So, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, the cutthroat trout, um, you know, which we have out, out here in the West. I, I think that that might be my, my animal of choice. Cool. Uh, favorite outdoor activity? I'm gonna guess it's probably fishing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big one. But you know, but now that now that I've got a dog, you know, it's it's um, I spent I, I just got I got my first dog a couple of years ago, and and uh, you know, I just I just love being out there with her. You know, she's um, just she can she can hike all day. She's a you know great little backpacker. Um, so you know, my my wife and I love love taking uh, taking our dog out. And our dog our dog's name is Kit, um, which is of course what you call a, a baby beaver. Yeah, so, hang, hanging out with Kit <laughs> in the outdoors that's pretty fun. Awesome. Um. Something about seeing something about going on a hike with your dog and seeing how much they enjoy it makes you enjoy it more for totally, sure. Totally, yeah. Because they're just they're having the time of their lives out yeah. there. Yeah, and you know it's 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 fun to experience it through their their eyes too because she you know because she's like she's cued into totally different things than me, right? I'm like I'm like admiring the 
the, the vistas uh, and the trees, you know, and she's, and she's just, I mean, she's, a, you know, she's part terrier. So she's just very focused on, on the rodents. You know, she loves, you know, squirrels, mice, voles. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's what she's very focused on. So, so, she, so she makes me notice um, different things than I, I would ordinarily. So she's, she's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. All right, I got, I got another question. I haven't tried this one before. We're just going to, we're just going to give Hit this me. one a roll. Um, favorite animated movie villain. Huh. That's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really, that's a really tough one. I mean, I think that my favorite animated <laughs> movie, well, there's so many good ones, but I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I, I just love, I love Wally. Wally is like the one that pops into my head. Um, and Wally right, doesn't right. really have a, I mean, it's a good one for an environmentalist to love because, you know, Wally doesn't really have a villain. The villain in Wally is just, you know, human overconsumption and, uh, and, you know, and, and, trash and like our our kind of like yeah. laziness you know we, we all turn into blob people living in the spaceship um so you know i feel like i feel like in, in wally you know the villain the villain is just our kind of societal negative tendencies and i, I really like that that is a great answer i wonder if i'll it was the first time i asked the question i wonder if i'll get yeah, it I'll, 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 be, I'll be thinking about it for, <laughs> that was good, it dude. for a while that's a good one that was good um man where can people find you? Uh, sure, yeah. So my, my website is uh, it's just bengoldfarb.com and uh, Twitter is uh, ben underscore a underscore, underscore goldfarb and I'm a, an active tweeter, so hit me up there. Cool, man. And again, guys, the book is Eager, The Surprising Secret Life, Life of Beavers and Why They Matter and Ben Goldfarb. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, really thanks a lot. No, that was, that was really fun. Thanks, man. Hey, so how tight was Ben? So you can get his book, uh, Eager, Secret Life of Beavers, wherever. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you like the podcast, you can find us wherever you get pod- podcasts. Um, you can find us on Instagram at dude underscore nature. We would love, love, love a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>